nobody like this You ain't seen nobody like this You hear my sound all over town singing Good evening and welcome to uh, what I think is a special edition of uh, San Antonio Soccer Roundtable here. Uh, I'll be the host. Um, we have Rafa, we have Coach Lori Lee, we have Coach uh, Hector Cano, and we have uh, Kardik Kirschneyer on the, on, on the uh, show tonight. We're not really going to talk something uh, about San Antonio soccer. It's going to be more, um, more about how, you know, what I labeled it, the health of the game. Um, talking about the abuse uh, within, you know, main focuses is the NWSL from, you know, this fall. And, you know, unfortunately, there was a recent story, uh, you know, in, you know, here in San Antonio of, you know, unfortunately, a youth soccer coach, uh, coach abusing players as well. So, and, unfortunately, it's a tough topic, um, but I do believe that I have some great um individuals to kind of discuss this uh, from various experiences. Um, we'll start with the introductions. Rafa, um, how are you? Uh, I know you're on the show all, all the time here, so uh, no special introduction for you, but uh, how have you been? Pretty good. Here, just enjoyed back from the, the Thanksgiving holidays. Nice and sort of rest up. <laughs> so the family was good? Yeah, so we had a good, we had pretty good, decent Thanksgiving, so it was all right. Lots of turkey. That's that's good. Coach Cano, uh, how are you? Um, Coach Cano is the Director of Sports Performance and Athletic Mindset, uh, Director of Soccer and the Head Women's Soccer Coach at St. Mary's Hall, uh, who is already in season. Um, saw that they've had uh, a couple of games uh, already under the belt and is also host of the 50-50 podcast, which is a great podcast that covers soccer in Texas. Um, and in my opinion, you know, kind of focuses more on the coaching aspect and the administration side, you know, uh, for that here. So, uh, Coach Cano, welcome back. Uh, I know this is what, fourth or fifth time that you've been on the show here, or maybe even more than that, because I think we did that much in the playoffs last year. But uh, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I, I like to think I have uh, I have season tickets here on the SA Soccer <laughs> Roundtable. <right? laughs> Appreciate you guys having me. Thank you. Hey, thank you. Um, and then uh, Coach Lori Lee of Harlan, uh, Harlan Hawks um, and also a – uh, I believe a coach and board member of uh, San Antonio uh, Surf uh, here in San Antonio, an academy team. Um, and one of the cool things that I discovered uh, looking, uh, you know, uh, researching uh, about uh, Coach, Lee, uh, Coach Lee, one, uh, she um, played locally here at Reagan High School um, as a goalkeeper. Um, but more important, you know, after she you know, finished college, she came back and you know, uh, helped start a program at Somerset uh, High School, um, which, you know, went from one team to, I think you mentioned nearly 50 girls, uh, you know, before you transitioned over to Harlan. Mm -hmm. 
So welcome here, uh, Coach Lee. Thank you for joining. Um, I know this is kind of your topic uh, that we uh, reached out to you to kind of talk about, you know, the start of high school soccer. And you mentioned that this is a topic that, you know, you'd like to uh, kind of get uh, out in the open a little bit more. And it's something that we haven't discussed in detail um, at that. So uh, thank you for uh, the conversation tonight. Yeah, thank you for having me. And I think I have like a different perspective because I've like been a player. I mean, soccer has been a part of my life since I was six and now it's part of my daughter's life. And so like I'm a player, I'm a coach, I ref too. And then now I'm a board member. So it's kind of a little bit different because I'm on that leadership side. It's like, so what can I do from my perspective to change this game and fix some of these problems that we have? And then last uh, but not least, uh, Carter Kirschneiser, who is a soccer journalist um, and does so many other things here, but he is author of Soccer Wars, uh, Inside America's Soccer uh, Feud Between MLS, NASL, USL uh, back in the day. Um, I believe he worked in the NASL front office. Um, he's worked with the you know Fort Lauderdale Strikers, um, I think also Miami FC. Or, not, or the Miami FC, pardon me. Um, <laughs> get that correct. You've got that down. Let me get that yeah. correct. <laughs> and also does, uh, you know, lots of uh, lower league soccer. Um, I, I don't, I forget the, I know it started with a P, uh, I think it was PASL there. PASL, in, yeah. In, in, I'm stuffing NPSL before as well. So, but he is also senior writer for World Soccer Talk, which is a great podcast. I recommend it to anybody. Um, they talk about more of the media's role in the game. Um, and the reason why I wanted to have him on is one, his experience with league front offices and dealing with United States State Soccer Federation, but also just, you know, his role with the media and along those lines here. Cause let's be honest, uh, with this topic, you know, the media and, um, you know, USSF have to, have to, have to be part of the equation in order to, to make, to fix the system here. You know, let's, let's be honest with that. Um, any opening thoughts that you guys have, uh, you know, that, that you want to kick off with, uh, before we go into, you know, kind of, you know, the, the scandals that, of, of the abuse within NWSL and, and then what the conversations from there. I think for me personally, it's become so apparent that this is such a systemic issue this is not just an NWSL problem. Correct. And it's like brought up for me, like personally, a lot of things that I dealt with as a player, well, like I haven't thought about in years, but I'm like, I've experienced things like that before. And the fact that it's like so common, it feels like almost that doesn't sit well with me. And like now as a parent and as a leader and like my daughter just started playing soccer I don't want her to have to experience those things as well. So I think having conversations like how do we get to that endpoint where this isn't an, a, a, as prominent as an issue where you don't have five out of 10 coaches being fired for misconduct in one year in a league. Where does that start and how does that filter down to the, the youth systems as well? And I think for me, um, and I, I put this in my notes, I have kids uh, my daughter doesn't play soccer, um, but she does other things. Um, but for me as a parent, I have to change my mentality of, of how I was coached and how, how, 
what what I thought was acceptable as a coach um, at that time in the you know eighties and nineties you know nineties as far as when, you know when I played high school and you know wasn't a star athlete or anything like that, but you know how I was coached to what's acceptable today, and I think that's you know for me as a parent what you know when. I see, you know, you know, AJ plays what, you know, at, at the surf complex as well. When I see the interactions between player and coach and how, how they coach is different than how my expectations or my memory is. So I think that's why I want to have this discussion and I'm going to be probably more just kind of sitting in the back and letting you guys talk just because I'm the one that that's probably the target audience on this because I need to learn on, hey, things to look out for, you know, you know, for my kids to, you know, to be able to, to be able to do that as a parent, um, you know, of a kid that plays soccer. Um, and really this goes beyond all other sports here, but the main thing that we're going to be talking about um, has to do with, you know, NWSL. And, and I thought that uh, uh, Alex uh, Aziz uh, wrote on, on her turf, a great um, on her turf on NBC Sports. Um, a great timeline of, uh, unfortunately, how this how this topic really came out um, with allegations against Rory Dames, uh, who's the latest one, Chicago Red Stars, and Paul Riley, you know, who was head coach of the North Carolina Courage and Portland Thorn, and about the abuse of power and how the system failed, um, you know, because you know Coach Riley was allowed to go from Portland. Um, quietly out the door to, you know, the Kurt, you know, to, you know, a, was it a WPSL to North Carolina courage? And there were no checks and balances on that here. So to me, and, and I'll start with you, uh, Kardik here, you know, just kind of looking real top level here, you know, what's wrong with the current system when it comes to, you know, the lack of guidance or lack of, um, monitoring by, you know, by the Federation, you know, and, and the major leagues on this. Yeah. It's, it's very apparent that there've been, uh, there's been a system, systemic problem for, for years now. Now, when you talk about Paul Riley specifically, he was flagged several years ago, uh, got the job with Western New York uh, with the flash uh, and the team was relocated. Steve Malik bought the team and was, and it was relocated to uh, the Raleigh Durham area and my understanding uh, is that uh, he was vetted again by the new ownership in North Carolina uh, in 2017 when they relocated the team and Malik bought that team. And this stuff was somehow uh, not disclosed by U.S. soccer or by NWSL, uh, which at the time was being run by Jeff Plush, I believe. It was before Amanda Duffy took over, uh, was not disclosed to the North Carolina ownership. And that they found this out much later, uh, which yeah, you can believe that if you want to believe that. But there's um, there are so many other cases beyond Paul Riley. Right. That was the tip of the iceberg. The Washington Spirit uh, have somehow persevered through all of this to win a title. But they are a, uh, a, a club that has had all kinds of problems uh, w w in terms of abusive behavior, bullying, um, sexual harassment all of these sorts of things. And when you think about this, more than half the teams in NWSL have been impacted by this. And 
Uh, as Lori said, it's not just an NWSL problem. I mean, the thing that was really interesting for me this season is when I start, first started hearing grumblings about some of this stuff, I said, you know, that's exactly what I've heard from parents and from administrators at the ECNL level. Same sort of things going on at the youth level. Uh, and it, it's filtered its way up to the professional. I mean, I, maybe it started at the professional level and filtered its way down. Either way, it's at both the youth level and the professional level. And uh, U.S. club soccer has a problem with this culture as well. And we have coaches in this country. Um, and, I, and I even did my own kind of apology saying that, hey, on, uh, when it happens on the, on the women's side and on the girls' side, I was, I've been very concerned and, and said it's bullying or harassment. But I used to accept coaches' explanations on the men's side because it happens on the men's side too, them telling me, well, this player is soft or this player doesn't have the right mentality. And now in hindsight, I realize it really was much of the same thing where you have a, a culture, a systemic culture. Now, why won't U.S. soccer do anything about it? Or why they, have they not to this point? U.S. soccer is an incredibly political organization. And youths, the elite youth soccer clubs have, um, there are effectively two, two entities controlling U.S. soccer, elite youth soccer clubs and major league soccer. And, and then you could say Wasserman, the Wasserman agency, which is connected to MLS. Uh, in in its in its own way, so you have these these entities, and it's not in their self interest to uh, to blow the whistle on anyone. So we get to this point. Um, the the other thing I would mention is, and this is uh, something that's come up the last couple of weeks since everything. Uh, or now it's been a couple mo uh, a mo over a month since the Paul Riley thing came out, and then the Washington situation was dealt with, etc. That um, USL is coming into the women's space, and with USL coming in, obviously they're, they're firing the W League back up, which they've had in the past. But once they launch the S League, there is some thinking that maybe that's the only way you can deal with it. Is And I'm not necessarily advocating for USL here, but what I am saying is that there are a lot of people saying maybe that's the only way you make the clean break from the systemic culture of abuse and um, and, and bullying and harassment being covered up because the, the thing about NWSL is NWSL, like much like Major League Soccer, is a single entity league that also um, with Lisa Baird were much more concerned about going out and getting uh, whatever sponsorship. And she did a great job for the league in terms of getting corporate sponsors in the door for them. But uh, either she was made unaware of the situation or she simply didn't care because the, the pressure was on her. To, to bring corporate sponsors through the door. And I mean, we thought NWSL at the beginning of this year, we're thinking NWSL is the greatest success story in U.S. soccer because of how many corporate sponsors they're bringing in, their TV deal with CBS. Uh, they don't seem to, they didn't seem to have all of the uh, political issues that MLS had. Well, now, nine months later, we realize they're really not very different than MLS, as it turns out. I was, like, I was watching the final game this week on ESPN and the commissioner for the USLW League in talking about that league made a point to say it is safe for players. And so I thought that was kind of interesting because yeah. it's almost like everything that's been going on with NWSL seems to make it out that there has been some ongoing safety issues. With the Royer Dame story, apparently USF did know. Krista Press went to Sunil Gulati and said, there's issues here and was basically told that's just coaching. <laughs> yeah. And then you see on Twitter, all these parents and players who played for Rory James at the youth level be like, yeah, 
And, and it wasn't it wasn't just that, Lori. It was that after that, there was a concerted effort by people who were allies of the leadership at U.S. Soccer to to badmouth, to effectively slander Kristen Press. Yeah, and she got force traded where place yep. she didn't want to go, and she hasn't been back in the NWSL. She went back. She went to England. Right, and then she went. She went to Sweden first, right? Remember yeah, for Sweden, half a season. Then, yeah, mm-hmm. because of all of this, and the the effort was made to say, well, you know, maybe she's she's not, uh, and because. You know, for me, I, I don't. We're, we're talking about this issue specifically, but I do want to say, for me, uh, she's probably our most versatile uh, frontline player at, at the national team level, right? She could play all. If you're playing in a four-three-three, she could play centrally uh, in place of Alex Morgan. She could play either uh, either wing, um, and she has an ability to tuck into midfield that a lot of our uh, attacking players haven't had through the years. So. It was always very natural to me, even if she's not starting, she's on the national team. But because of all of this, now in hindsight, we realize why she was dropped. When uh, Jill Ellis at times said, well, you know, she's she's between clubs. We're not going to pick her. Uh, Mm -hmm. She's not playing regularly. Or she got to Sweden, as we said, for six months. Now, in hindsight, I realize it was all political. So even the selections for the U.S. women's national team were being based uh, on this, which is just shocking when you think about it. Yep. Yeah. And I think, I think that's part of the issue here, right? I know Cardi just mentioned it is that is really getting out. The obvious message here is that it's that no one is safe, right? Whether you're talking from a U, U6, U8, all the way up to professionals, right? At the most senior level, as Cardi just mentioned. Um, and it's funny too, is as these stories continue to come out, you're re- you're seeing, you know, active, Right, active uh, athletes and former athletes, retired athletes uh, of all ages that are saying it's like, oh my God, yes, I I experienced something like that too. I saw something like that too, but it was it was the norm, right? And and I think part of the issue here, I think, as we have this discussion today, is to not make sure that we focus so much on just the symptom or symptoms, right? But addressing it as a whole, because I think for me the biggest issue is that I don't think is being mentioned enough is the obvious one of the lack of transparency, but the also the clear cut separation and independent independence of the organization. We know when the NWSL was first created that this go around, what was going to make them different was the support of the U S soccer Federation, right. And the payment of contracts and what have you. But as we are, as we're finding out that's, that wasn't necessarily a great idea in itself. Um, so how do we separate these entities, right? Whether it's, US, USSF, the NWSL, we look at it, the ECNL and its, its impact and its influence across all of youth soccer, but also then these, these gatekeepers, right? These quote unquote uh, identified gatekeepers who at the end of the day, despite all these organizations across soccer in this country, it comes down to what seems like a handful of individuals. So, and I, I think those more than just the organizations, those names of those individuals is what has to come to uh, be put uh, under the spotlight, if you will. And I know with Rory James, with his stuff coming out, it was brought up quite known that he was a very much a gatekeeper in Chicago area and that players were told explicitly that if they wanted to be looked at, that they had to play for Rory James and that he had massive control of just having ECNL teams in Chicago fall under his organization and under his leadership. So there's, yeah, that's like a, it's like these select few individuals 
have all this power. And when it comes down, abuse is about power. Who has the power? You know, as a coach, it's all about too your intent. Are you intending to empower your players? Are you, are your intent to assert power over your players? And there's too many coaches out. There's too many of these coaches that have been coming up now that seem to have these positions of power that were also asserting their power over their players in very coercive and very damaging ways. So which kind of is going to transition kind of to the second phase since we've kind of identified, Hey, what, what the, what the problem is, but you know, we've got, three coaches on here and, and Cardick's, you know, been, you know, involved in, in the leagues and, and clubs uh, running them here. What does the role of not necessarily the coach of the team, but, you know, for instance, Rafa was telling me about um, an incident where, you know, he saw, you know, abuse by another coach. Um, to his club, you know, along those lines here. So what's kind of the role of the coaches and administrators, you know, maybe not dealing with your specific club or along those lines, but if you see it or, you know, if Danielle was here, if she was referring, um, what, what does the role or what can we, what can, what can coaches do to maybe, you know, you know, to, to try to help uh, curve, you know, curve, curve this issue. And I'll start with you, Rafa here. Uh, for that Harrison, you know, uh, uh, for that. I think the role, I guess, you know, being coaches is keeping accountability with one another, regardless if it's our club or another club. And like you mentioned about that situation, you know, I was, it was actually during a game that happened and uh, a coach was basically singing out a player that we knew they used to play for us and they had a little argument and, you know, it was just back and forth, back and forth. And I actually had to intervene, kind of pull that player away to kind of calm him down. But even tell the coach to say, hey, you know, you don't need to be doing this in front of everybody, this and that, you know, take it, you know, privately or something or discuss it with the parents. I think if us as a, the coaching community, you know, we do need to hold each other accountable. And if there's any situations, you know, we do need to tell whether it's board of directors with a club or even in high school, you know, talking to the principals and or school board members say, Hey, you know, this is what's going on and we don't need to tolerate this. You know, you know, we're here for the players is, we you know, that safety for the players is the best for them. You know, we don't need to have this around and especially for, you know, for this sport or any other sport. Um, so, you know, what I like to see is a little bit more of that accountability, but also the coaches kind of policing kind of little one or one another, to prevent some of these from this stuff from happening and to continue on. So that way we can have the right coaches for those players that need to be there, you know, to be there on the field. They're basically educating those, you know, the kids and so forth. And I'm curious, uh, Lori, from your perspective, I guess, are there, from your perspective as a, I guess, board member, is um, are there any um, that you're aware of um, existing policies or procedures in place to either help prevent or help report this uh, on the club side, whether it be your club or others that you're aware of? What Are there any procedures in place right now for this? So we have like our, our policies um, and we do training with our coaches. We use safe sport training, but safe sport 
I don't feel like it really addresses some of these issues and really has, it's more for, you know, for grooming behavior, for sexual harassment, for sexual assault to report coaches for that. Not so much for this emotional and verbal abuse. Um, so like as a club, like as a board, if something like that occurs, we want to remain kind of independent of this. And we do use outside resources to conduct those investigations. And I think that's something that has to be done. It can't be within house. It has to be done independently. Um, and I think that kind of showed with what happened with Paul, with Paul Riley and some of the others, it was kind of in-house and we just, we kind of pushed it aside and just, we, we investigated and we're just going to slide this under the table. I, I don't personally know of any way to like necessarily report a coach. If I see something besides like if it's right there in the game, interviewing with the referee, possibly, you know, if I was refereeing and I knew a coach was being, and I hear that stuff, I'm going to step in and be like, that's enough and give them a warning. And if it continues, I'll, I'll throw that coach out. But there's not really, and that's kind of something I want to know and like what I want to push for, what are the, can we get a system in place? Is this something that, because there are coaches that I know go from one club to the other, get removed for their behavior because they, they don't have person they have their way that they speak to players is just totally out of balance and totally off the wall, not appropriate. It's not sexually inappropriate but it's just emotionally inappropriate behavior but they just bounce around and so they just continue to get hired at these positions and i don't know if there's a system really to track that yet and that's something that has to be established by these higher levels and organizations like stisa right. do, do, right. do you think like like stisa maybe needs to kind of create some type of governing board that does mm -hmm. monitor that because yeah. i know they have like with the, you know with a you know, here in San Antonio, you have ASA, and maybe ASA can create something like that that's independent. And I think I think Stysa maybe needs to do the same thing. Yeah. You know, because I, I did see a lot of that. You know, from you know as far as coaches kind of getting a little out of line <laughs> with the verbal abuse, and you know, and you try to kind of say something, and you can't really do anything because no one else will take that further step to make sure that this doesn't happen again. And, you know, maybe that's maybe something that I guess for all the clubs to say, hey, you know, you know, talk to Stiso about maybe having a independent governing board that does monitor this so we can start preventing a lot of this going on on the field. Yeah. And that's something I've discussed, like with my board members. It's like I feel like I can go to Stiso and be like, what what do we what would this take? What does this look like? Because we do have, we use safe sport, but safe sport is not catching other things that are obviously harmful and traumatic for these kids. And these coaches need to either get completely retrained or just be removed from the sport. And when you're constantly just like we're a repeat offender and your club bouncing from club to club year after year, there's not a lot of catching that. And so that's, that's something I want to go to and go to Stisa and, you know, use like being a part of surf almost and go to surf nation, not just surf San Antonio, but the surf nation as an organization, like we got to step up and do something about this. This can't be, this can't be the story. Like more and more kids, how many kids quit the sport, quit the sport? Why do they quit the sport? Cause it's not fun anymore. And why is it not fun? Cause their coach is a jerk. And like, I think always like, like the female side of it, why is it that we have all these amazing female athletes and these, you know, girls that grew up playing soccer, 
but then they leave the sport and they never come back. Like, why is it that I had so many great athletes and leaders that I played with and I'm the only one that coaches still. And it's kind of like, we got to fix this system. Like people are like, how do we get more women involved in soccer? How do we get more women coaches? How do we get more great women coaches candidates? I'm like, look, think about their experience as a kid. Like the, was it Hubley that sent out about her experience in college? She almost quit the game. Uh, so that's like my kind of like project that I want to work on and like go to higher levels, utilize surf nation and kind of like, we need to push for this. This needs to change. And it only changes with accountability and systems to track things like that. Yeah. I've actually heard about coaches that are in the rush system that have been moved from rush entity from one one city to another right from denver to atlanta or whatever uh because they've had so many complaints about abuse and bullying on both the boys and girls side in one city yet they're protected by the the national youth club setup uh i don't know if surf operates this way also Lori, but uh, i've heard that story about coaches at rush that they've been they've just been then moved to other rush towns and so they keep recycling and uh, these coaches, I don't know why they're protected, but there's some ulterior motive. And I think it probably goes back to what we were saying earlier. There are, I don't want to say three or four major decision makers in the game in the country that, but maybe 10, maybe it's, it's that, that few that effectively are creating a culture of submission and cover up uh, with this. And now those people are on the back foot finally. And so we have to take this opportunity, I think, as, as you said, Lori, to bring in some monitoring, some sort of uniform monitoring of this and uniform reporting. Because every league I've been involved in, we do have a process, but it's an informal process. And it's always a he said, she said thing. And generally, by the time we get around to litigating it at the league level, uh, the, the, the coach that is uh, impacted, the coach in question, has come up with some sort of alibi. And gotten people to defend them or, or some other players on their team to defend them against the other the player who's making the accusation. So uh, we need a better system. Yeah, and I think from that perspective, Kartik, you bring up a great – that's kind of what I was referring to really. I know Lori mentioned it right now as well with the gatekeepers, right? Those, let's just say 10, right? The heavy influencers, if anything else, right? And I think it's putting those names beyond the organizations, right? But putting those names – Right under under the spotlight, under the the magnifying glass, um, because it's. Don't get me wrong. I think it's really easy in this situation to look at the end result of the abuse from the coach's perspective, and and it can be we can just look at coaches, 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 and then but those influencers that we're talking about, those ten individuals, twelve individuals, what have you, kind of they can just slap a hey, we'll we have to create a new mandatory state training that you have to go through for, for two hours or you attend a course and that's it. We're good. We, we responded to it somehow. And I think the reality of it is, is that's, that can't be enough, right? That can't be enough. Those names have to be brought forward. All right. And, and the, the lack of transparency, like I said, and the fact that when you start, you know, you look at an individual, whether we say someone like a Christian labors at the ECNL, for example, I know it has been exposed about his the involvement of different organizations that he has beyond just the ECNL. How can a, a director of this also be in charge of this or be connected to that? And he's just one example. Um, but again, the the soccer community in this country, it's also only so big. 
And I think that's my frustration um, so far with what's what's happened here is it's almost like U.S. soccer took the easy road out and and got rid of the coaches. And I'm not saying they're they're ignoring um, the cover up, but outside of hey the coach is gone here, um, and this is this part of the reason why I had had Cardick on is the media aspect and. and just drops the story as opposed to keep digging into, okay, you know, the Kristen press, we went to, you know, went to USSF who dropped the ball there. Why isn't there any accountability at the higher levels? Cause without accountability at the higher levels, how can you expect things to change? Right. Why did we just accept the explanation? And I include myself in this uh, from Joe Ellis in I'm trying to, remember the exact timeline of this uh, of this press situation because I, I mean at the time it, it was kind of it was kind of clear something strange was going on with her she was going being traded against her will her rights had been traded as you guys know well know in, in texas and um she went to sweden there were other rumors that like oh maybe she doesn't really want to play for the national team anymore and there were all these kind of salacious things flying that i'm not going to get into um on here but why didn't we at that point see a red flag and dig deeper and say, wait a second, you know, this is one of your top players. This is someone that everybody who's played with, all of her teammates, both national team and club level, think the world of her. Um, and I actually, uh, she played here her rookie year in, in South Florida for uh, the, the, the previous league, the previous top division league, WPS had a team in Boca Raton. And so actually when I was the NASL PR director, we were working – uh, we were doing some um, some cross promotion with them, so I got to know Christian Kristen Press her rookie season, and she she was an obscure player at the time, right? Abby Wambach was on the team, Hope Solo was on the team, etc. Um, but she always struck me as someone who was really earnest. So why, when she blew the whistle and went to U.S. Soccer, was there not any further digging? Why is it that we, for years, accepted explanations about various coaches? Uh, not just Dames and Riley, but others uh, in addition to that. And I think a lot of us are feeling kind of uh, kind of used and, and, and bad about the situation now. But there are other journalists who I think have a vested interest in protecting U.S. soccer and protecting NWSL. NWSL is kind of a, a cause for some of them, right? And now with USL breaking into the women's uh, – into the women's market, they might, or the women's pro market, right? Cause they've had the W league in the past. There might be some uh, journalists who don't want to do that much damage to, uh, uh, to, to NWSL because it's, uh, it's something they have a vested interest in. Uh, the last thing I'll say on this also is I think that there was um, such a, um, a wow factor about the sponsors Lisa Baird was bringing in in the last year at the NWSL level that everyone just kind of assumed that, um, sponsors, because there, there have been rumors of this stuff for, for many years, not the specifics about, uh, uh, about, uh, individual players, uh, but about coaches. Yeah. Some of them, uh, have had reputations for, uh, for, but we didn't know the extent of it. We didn't know nearly how deep it was, but there was an assumption that with all these corporate partners marrying themselves to NWSL, that there probably had been a vetting process. And, you know, rumors, there are rumors in every business, there are rumors in every field. And 
uh, there's probably not this this massive culture. However, I mean, where I uh, where I would say I had been different than a lot of my colleagues in the in the soccer writer community is I knew that there were problems at the ECNL level and that there were lots of uh, uh, issues of, of bullying and sexual harassment and just just plain out uh, plain uh, abuse from coaches uh, in uh, under 15, under 17, under 19 girls uh, at elite ECNL levels. So um, that now all adds up because it's a, it's a complete culture around the game. And a lot of those coaches, uh, as, as you mentioned, Lori earlier, Rory Dames was the gatekeeper in the Chicago area to the youth clubs. Also, there is a cross, um, you know, you, it's a very small circle as we've talked about, as, as Hector talked about, there is a cross kind of pollination of these coaches. So the coaches at the ECNL level end up at the pro level and vice versa all the time. So you moving on kind of the, the final topic here, and I'll start with you, Lori, um, as a parent, um, for parents, um, and, you know, as somebody that's involved, you know, with, with the academies and, and, you know, especially high schools through here, what things do you think that we can do as, as parents, um, to try to help shape, um, a system going forward, you know, to, where there's a little bit more accountability, whether it's, you know, at the club level, high schools, um, you know, kind of at that grassroots level to, to protect the younger kids, um, you know, at there. So where maybe they can get to that high school level or, you know, college level, um, you know, from there with, with, with the least impact here. So um, what are, you know, your thoughts as a parent, you know, what are some things that we can do, uh, to maybe kind of help uh, avoid this situation, you know, for our kids? I think when you're, if your kid comes to you and says, brings up a thing that their coach has said to them, or I don't feel like I can do anything good for this coach. I constantly feel like I can't do anything right. I'm scared to make mistakes. You can't like brush that off and be like, oh, you're just, you just got to toughen up. Like you're, you'll make it through just toughen up, you know? And I kind of remember that kind of happening to me sometimes. It's like you, you toughen up a little bit because my parents grew up in a different era where that's coaching. I know. And yeah, I mean, even coaches in my office, we were kind of talking about today and it's like, yeah, that's just coaching in a way. But then we kind of talked about what the difference is. What's the, what's the intent? Is there an intent to control that player and manipulate that player? And are, you know, is that coach asking questions that they really shouldn't ask? Like if a coach is asking your player about their personal life, who are you dating? Who are you talking to? What are you interested in? This stuff that's beyond like just normal day-to-day -day checking in, like, hey, how's your day been? How are you doing? Like how's school going for you? There's stuff that as a coach, I don't need to know about my players necessarily. And I shouldn't be the one that like is looking for that information. So like if you're, if my kid came up to me and, or if a kid comes up to me and is telling me, you know, this coach is asking me some kind of personal stuff or coaches like bringing up like, well, if I don't, my boyfriend's coming to my game. It's like, well, you better play good for your boyfriend. Like, or if you mess up, like I'm going to pull you out of that game. And there's stuff there that you have to watch out for and let your kid know, like you hear them and you understand what they're saying. And then go speak to those adults in charge. Like go speak to the, uh, sorry, my husband's here. Go speak to the adults, go speak to follow the chain of command. So if it's like you're a JV player, talk to the head coach, 
go to the athletic director, you know, if it's a coordinator on site for you and get those people and say, Hey, these are the things that are being said to my kid. And uh, that that's more the high school level kind of in that the system I'm in, like at the youth levels, I really think there has to be a system for parents to report as well. It can't just be if a coach is observed being very verbally abusive to players, it can't just be the organization self-reporting that it has to be parents being able to put into that system and be able to make reports. You know, I'm sure parents film games all the time, but there's probably stuff that's going to be on film somewhere. So I think when your kid comes to you, like, and says something, listen, maybe try to observe, don't brush it off. You know, cause I, to me, if a kid comes and voices that concern, you need to hear that concern. Hmm. Your thoughts, coach Connor. I know you've got a young daughter as well. Yeah. You know, I think I'm listening to Lori and I'm thinking that's, well, that's, that's precisely what's I'm, I'm thinking that's a, that's a system. That's a policy. That's a implemental policy uh, in place, uh, a procedure. Right. And, but I guess if we were collectively to pull at all levels of the game, right. Whether it's rec clubs, your competitive clubs, uh, East, whatever, right. You in, insert the name of a league, uh, at the youth, at the uh, club soccer level, at the youth soccer level, high school, even you know, even college. Where, if we were to pull these organizations independently, what you know, what percentage would say they have a reporting system and training procedures in place to be able to one identify that, identify it, and know who to report it to? Right. I mean, I I would guess it's it would be shockingly low. Your thoughts, Rafa? Uh, just to kind of piggyback on Coach Kana, yeah, you know, we don't, you do see, don't see any systems, all that. You know, being coaching in club and high school, there really isn't a way. And there's, you know, a lot of that is pushed under the rug because that certain coach has won a bunch of games or this and that. We don't want to ruin their reputation and stuff. But still, your your focus as those players is the safety of the players. Not only physically, but also mentally, too, because, you know, you can imagine what some of these players have gone through. And, you know, like I say, there's, you know, they could have gone to do extreme things, maybe, you know, could have led, to, you know, to suicide or stuff like that. And because of that, you know, the, you know, they're still haunted by that, you know, pressure or, or, or that the thing wasn't resolved and so forth. So I, I think you know, overall, we do need to look into adding those systems and having accountability and and finding the ways of working together as a community and, you know, with the parents and also with the coaches, holding, holding that accountability and having those rounds of open communication because it's only going to make things a lot better if we have that. You know, can't we can't be sweeping under the rug all the time. And, you know, sooner or later, you know, we may not have players to be out there to play in the, the coach. You know, and then also it kind of gives a bad rep to the actual good coaches out there. They're actually doing a good job and helping those players, you know, compete and so forth. And, you know, then it may end up not being able to coach anybody, period, because those players are not staying with the sport. So hopefully that's something I want to see in the future. And, you know, from all from, you know, from the pros all the way to to the club teams, you know, even the high school teams, you know, we've got to start having some accountability for, you know, going forward after all, all this. And Kark, I'm going to ask yours. Yours a little bit different here. What would you like to see from 
uh, you know, the Federation. Um, what, what would you like to see the Federation lead on this as? Because, you know, we've got, what, 50 different states, and then, you know, it's broken down to many, many different, you know, club levels and, and stuff under there. But for you, it, you know, if you were to kind of pick one or two things that the Federation could do, what would that be? Um, so first off, uh, for the the uh, entities they govern that have uh, that are uh, huge youth soccer factories, ECNL, uh, U.S. Club Soccer, U.S. Youth Soccer, also now MLS Next. <laughs> Obviously, we have to uh, throw into that. Uh, you they need to set clear guidelines. I mean, we talk. Uh, Harry, you and I even have this conversation on Twitter like once a week, it feels like about the pro league standards, right? <laughs> yes. So why have they set standards for professional leagues uh, about ownership and net worth, but they're not even willing to do the basic about basics about player safety, uh, even to deal, deal with concussions as a serious issue. It took them forever and so much uh, pulling of the teeth. I mean, that was something that uh, I personally had gotten involved in, in 2009, 2008 or 2009. And, uh, the USSF really didn't want to deal with it until six, seven years later. Um, and they started to take steps about head, heading the ball at a certain age. And that was, but it took several years. They need to set clear guidelines for coaches in, and their interactions with players, their interactions with parents. Now, there doesn't have to be, uh, it doesn't have to be really regimented, but it has, there have to be, uh, clear uh protections for the players and for and for parents and then you need to go and do the same thing at the college level i don't know to what extent that because of the ncaa that's a whole nother issue uh then at the professional level with nwsl they have some sig significant responsibility they may even have had a fiduciary duty uh, particularly the paul riley case where which they dropped the ball on so uh, we know they brought sally yates in is that going to be just sweeping things under the rug or are they going to get an actual audit out of that? I don't know because even when I look at NWSL as an entity, I think so many of the decisions that um, NWSL made regarding this seem to have been tied back to their association with the Federation and legal counsels that both entities shared, uh, outside firms that both entities shared. Don't, let's remember, U.S. soccer was managing the op operations of NWSL during this period. So that it's the NWSL question is a lot more complicated. How do they unwind themselves from that and become an actual um, objective governing body when, in fact, they are – I mean, they're actually a party to this thing, so they can't actually objectively govern and, and, and separate sides and set standards to protect players and protect um, the integrity. I and mean, we're talking about the entire integrity of the sport, because I think as this abuse scandal continues to unfold, what's going to happen is it's going to hurt the popularity of soccer as a participatory sport in this country. And once that happens, then everything else starts to fall. So final thoughts here. Um like I said here, you know, we'll start with you, Rafa, you know, you know, I think it's been a great conversation, um, you know, from everybody, you know, it's been real educational for me, which, which is hopefully what everybody gets out of this podcast, or if you're watching on YouTube, um, Rafa, kind of your final thoughts. And, and, and if, if, if you are in charge, what's one thing that, that you would implement? I think for me, it's just accountability, having somebody independently, 
monitor this, making sure, you know, that type of abuse is not happening, you know, and, you know, be, you know, your, your players are important and, you know, their feelings are important. And I think for me, you know, from the coaching of coach, like I said, both high school and club, you know, seeing other coaches to kind of do what they did. It's just not, it didn't work for me and my system. Like I have a system that, you know, encourages players and all that. So I think being, you know, part, you know, part of a, you know, the committee or, or the board, it's finding people that are going to make sure that player safety comes first, you know, making sure there's no verbal abuse, sexual abuse, anything like that. And that we have all eyes, ears and opens ready to go. And also to deal with those matters and not just put them under the rug and, keep the right people that need to be in part of that organization that's going to make the organization more successful and help the sport grow too. So I think that's the, that's what I would do if it was in that position. And, and I, I think hopefully, you know, this opens the eyes to many others to, you know, we do need to band together and create this, create, you know, kind of not saying like a watchdog thing, but, you know, kind of watch each other to make sure that, we take care of our players first. And like I said, they do come first before anything. Coach Kino, your final thoughts. And, you know, if you, if you are in charge, uh, what's the one thing you would like to see implemented? Yeah. You know, I think obviously it's a very, very broad question. We could have a separate, you know, episode <laughs> just on that, but yeah, I, I think um, to begin with, shifting a clear shift in terms because as we've you know as we clearly mentioned no one is safe in this we're finding from the lowest levels in youth soccer all the way to professionals um emphasizing what has to be important to be able to what i view as one of the greatest privileges i have in my life is to be able to wear the title of coach right is um you can, it's it's got to be more than just to simply call yourself a coach, obviously. And there has to be, when I say shift the emphasis, maybe a little bit less of an emphasis on, hey, how what what badges do you have? What licenses do you have? What courses have you gone to? Um, that is not enough, right? That is, it's not enough, right? Um, and the shift to character, right? Development, what are our, what are, what are our clubs? What are our high schools, our college coaches all the way on up? You know, the, those some sometimes you see the, the mission and the vision statements and the core values, and it looks great on the website. But how much of it is being implemented daily across the board from our executive directors, our DOCs, all the way on down? Right. Um, so I think a clear I think a, probably a step back. And, you know, and, and I think some of it, too, is. I don't know. I don't know if at no point is this acceptable, but did some people along the way just kind of talk themselves into thinking that some of this was just the norm or, Hey, you're being soft because it's about, it's about results versus, or yeah, it's about results versus development. Right. And because the money that's involved and because again, back to those gatekeepers, there's a handful Right. That can really make if they all collectively stepped up and said, hey, not not anymore. Right. Not on my watch. This this would change. This could change. So I think a shift in a shift in principles, a shift in priorities and 
not a matter of just, hey, how quickly can you develop and how many different courses can you attend and work your way up the ladder as quickly as possible. Kardik, uh, any final thoughts from you? Yeah, I, I think I, everything everyone's hit on tonight is great. And I think the the key thing, one of the key things I want to stress is in the future, when we hear a coach say, to us, uh, and especially to me in administration or in journalism, a player is soft. A player is uh, not mentally tough. Now, I, anytime that is said, we now have to question the coach because I'll admit I was one who would accept that. I mean, I don't know. I, I could, dozens of coaches have come to me and, and named individual players as being soft. Uh, players you guys know, players who played for San Antonio FC, actually a few of them, um, coaches that come to me, oh, that guy is soft, that guy is uh, not mentally strong. And some of the things that I found out subsequently were, well, they just had a run-in with the coach, or the coach uh, was trying to assert some degree of uh, dominance over that particular player. Uh, so this happens on the men's side also. Um, and on the women's side, it's even more rampant. So that to me is is in addition to everything you guys have said and, and all the suggestions you've made that we question when, when we're told in the future a player is not mentally tough or a player is soft because that now seems to be code for a coach trying to assert their dominance over that player. Coach Lee, uh, your final thoughts and, uh, you know, what you would like to see implemented, whether it's, you know, from being you know part of the board, coach, or as a parent. I think something that the NWSL Players Association brought up is the importance of independence with these investigations. So I definitely think there has to be some sort of way to get an independent board that parents and players can report coaches to. So this like lemon shuffle of, of coaches from one city or one club to the other stops. Because that's, to me, that's the biggest problem is that these coaches are unable to continue their behaviors because there's there's a lack of independent investigations or there's just no investigations at all. Let's just move them on along. And I think a lot of coaches, like I've taken a lot of self-reflection of this and kind of thinking about, okay, what am I doing? How do I speak to my players? You know, a lot of the play coaches that I work with are older and they've been coaching for a long time and it's, you know, well, we can't just yell at players anymore. And it, it's changing the thought of like, no, it's not the yelling thing. That's, that's not, nobody's talking about that. We're talking about the, the power dynamics here and the need to assert power over somebody and kind of, and control them and manipulate and coerce them. And like, as a parent and just as somebody who like, as a coach, like my ultimate goal as a coach for my players is to keep them a part of the game. So like when my players graduate high school, are, some of them are going to go play college. Some of them are not. How do they stay a part of this game? Or, you know, do they go on and coach themselves? Do they referee? Do they volunteer coach youth soccer at the Y? Like, keep them involved. They're just they're just fans, and they want to be a part. And they they go to games, and they're they're fans on the on social media, and they watch on TV. You want to keep players a part of this game, and keeping them a part of this game is because it's enjoyable and it's fun, and they don't have this trauma to process and deal with and feel like a core part of them is got is taken away because of something that happened to them and something that a coach did to them. And my final thought, and I'm, I'm going to point the finger at myself uh, as, as a parent. Um, and it kind of goes to what Cardix said here is I know, you know, just with, with AJ and I've gotten better just with the communication between him and me on 
what works and what doesn't work for, you know, for him. Um, but as parents, we also play a role in, in what's accepted by the children and what's not. Um, you know, I know early when AJ, you know, was starting, you know, with rec and, and, um, you know, club, I was probably harder than I should have been, um, you know, on it saying, Hey, you needed to do this. You need to do this. And, um, I look back at it now and it's one of those where, you know, I wasn't meaning to be uh, abusive, but from his side, you know, it wasn't about, Hey, you did a great job at the game. It was my first reaction was, Hey, this is what you could have done better. So I think as parents, um, we need to work with the coaches, um, in regards to this, we need to work with, you know, the administrations, you know, with, with um, the club, like, you know, I, I know, you know, some, you know, part of it's through, through this podcast, part of it's through, um, just interaction with them on social media, get to know the administrators of the club, get to know the administrators, you know, whether it's, you know, schools, you know, with the coaches and stuff along those lines, but work together as a team to try to be able to help nurture in not only your kids, but, you know, their kids and their friends and, and their teammates here. So, um, it's going to take in order to stop this, it's going to take everybody, you know, from parents to listening to the kids, to the schools, to, you know, the academy structure, you know, all the way up to the, up to the top here. But, um, I do want to thank everybody for coming on, uh, you know, uh, Kardik, thank you for coming on, you know, like I said here, I've talked to you for years, uh, you know, not topics here. Um, so thank you, thank uh, you. for coming on. Uh, Coach Lee, thank you for reaching out to me and, and saying, hey, this is what you wanted to talk about. Hopefully we will get you on later on in the year to talk uh, a little bit about, you know, high school soccer, um, yeah. you know, Harlan and, and others in, in, in the area here. And, of course, Coach Kano, uh, you know, you're always welcome on. And, and I'm assuming when playoffs come, uh, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll be doing those marathon shows uh, for that here. Yeah, let's let's see if we can beat that three hour bracketology uh, <laughs> episode from, from last year. That was awesome. Hey, it was fun. Yeah. Uh, always guys, I pre I appreciate I appreciate uh you all having me on, but also but more importantly, I think I just to be able to be part of this discussion, this panel, because this is all kidding aside, a very uh a very, very serious topic that's kind of at the heart of the future of this game in this country. So, um, and I think, yeah, I think it's more of these conversations need to happen, more poking, more prodding, more, uh, Hey, enough, uh, statements and, uh, questions need to happen. So thank you. Yeah. I think this conversation, like I have it in my office and it's kind of those conversations that you are going to come up and they're tough conversations, but I think all of us, I think, I honestly believe the best in everybody that everybody wants to be, do the best for their kids mm -hmm. and kids are different now. And that's, we got to adjust a little bit for that. Unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I've, my, I've, I've got my twin 13 year olds. And, and let me tell you, uh, you know, the reason why I cut my hair is it was turning grayer faster. Than <laughs> <laughs> I have a three year old who is going to give me a run for my money. She's like me just in little form right now. So she's very opinionated, very strong-willed, very independent. And I'm just, it's going to be fun with her. Uh, Harry, Harry, you get zero sympathy regarding hair from me. Okay. So I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. So, so no, uh, AJ's like, dad, you need to cut your hair. I want to cut it. I was like, well, when the season's over and, you know, not thinking that the season was going to be over a couple of weeks ago. Um, 
And then I cut it off and he's like, dad, you need to grow your hair back. And I was like, well, I cut it for you. <laughs> so, um, but thank you for everybody for tuning in. Um, like I said here, CJ, uh, I'll answer your question here about the uh, USL championships. It is part of a video game. Um, uh, I forget the name of it. It's not the FIFA one. It, oh, it's one that's uh, um, Konami. Uh, Konami. Konami. It used to be PES. And I think PES, they, re yeah. they rebranded. I think uh, I forget which one it is. It isn't supposed to be out yet. Uh, it's supposed to be for uh, start of next year. Um, if you actually check with Edson Ochoa, um, he, he has a lot. He plays video games a little bit more. So um, from my understanding, it's good that it's in there, but it's not the best game you know. at, at this point. E-football. Yes, Jonathan, thank you. Um, E-football is, is the game that's going to be coming on, but it's supposed to be uh, for next year, 2022. Um, just to kind of wrap up, next week we'll be getting back into the high school soccer. Um, Rafa, you know, we, we're getting ready to, you know, bring out the Rafa rankings yet. Yeah, uh, they're going to be – got some power rankings hopefully soon, and it, it's a new format. We're going to have one for the boys, one for the girls. Uh, so it's not going to be long, and <laughs> it takes three hours long. <laughs> like no, Coach Kanu, no, no Coach Kanu uh, influence here. Let's, you know, you know, we, we got to be yeah, – we, we also have the other power rankings, too, for, for, <laughs> you know, for the statewide, too, with Coach Kanu, too. But I'm pulling double duty. So it's, it should be fun. And hopefully, like I said, we do get to – hopefully get to talk to coaches in all the both shows. And uh, just looking forward to this season. It's for, a lot of excitement, a lot of uncertainty. We don't – we don't know who the favorites are just yet, and you know you might be seeing me, seeing me popping by some scrimmages to see what you guys, what your teams have, and and reporting back, and hopefully, like I said, we, you know, start of the season. I know there's some good matchups, so, so we'll, we'll discuss those. We'll start addressing that, and yeah, yeah. I plan on, uh, you know, since I'm vaccinated, I, I plan on attending more games this year uh, as well here. So. Uh, um, it's always interesting to to watch the high school here, and and I do have to get to the the south side. That's my goal this year is to to go and, and watch one on the south side because uh, that's one where I think we neglect a little bit on the show here. So well, hopefully we also get to live stream a couple games. So that's that's something that we're gonna work on here uh, for that here. But do want to thank uh, you know everybody for tuning in. Mm -hmm. Thank for uh, thank you to Lori, Rafa, Hector, and and uh, uh, Kardik. Uh, What's life without goals? We're out of here. Peace.